Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 229 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today, we are going to focus the bulk of the show around UFC 285, but we do have some juicy little pit tidbits of news, pit tits, tidbits of news. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good week. We have a huge, huge card, and I'm really looking forward to it. How are you doing today, Victor? I'm doing good. I'm I'm I just need a little bit more rest, but I'm eating good. Not as good as John Jones, but uh I'm I'm doing okay, I suppose. Um and I know I I give I give uh a lot of I I guess the 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 um you know, we don't want to body shame too much in a way, but I don't know, man. I just think it's kind of funny that there's been so much chatter about how this guy was taking so much time off to build muscle. And I don't know, man, you just, maybe we expected him to look a little leader. That's all. Look, Fedor had a gut for the entirety of his career. And, you know, the whole peak performance meme brewed up around it. But it was, it's, it's what it is. You know, it's, it's just kind of amusing to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've, um, I've been looking at some of that stuff too. And it makes me laugh that everybody's really, really worried about his physique and everything. Have, have y'all not seen Tai Tuivasa? that yeah. dude can crack and can move and this and that have y'all did y'all but forget it, about mark hunt but that's different because we met them that way you know mark hunt had been fighting i mean can you find a single instance of mark hunt being slender i mean you'd have to go back to when he was maybe 12 and even then good luck i think he's always chunky you know ty same thing like they, those guys always had that frame was john's I and mean, john was you know there's a reason his nickname was bones he's always been the skinny mm-hmm. dude and now he's in there and he's got this you know the the, the true final phase of divorced dad energy. The, the, it's just like the, the guy who just finally learned how to get the lawnmower started at his advanced age. It's, it's that. That's what the, that's where the vast difference is. It's years and years and years of seeing this guy being super lean. And then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, did he did he just like inherit his dad's eating habits or something like this is not this is not the guy that we're used to. But sometimes it's what it looks like. And it's fine. It's not that big a deal, I guess, unless it's something that starts to hamper his cardio or uh, you know, his movement starts looking a little plotting-ish. You know, that, that's when you might have some cause for concern. But right now, I think people are making a little too much of it. It is kind of fun to point at it and have some giggles, though. That, that is, I think that's fair. All right. So first story today is going to be about Dana White again. But it's a little bit different because for the first time in a long time, I am agreeing with Dana White. And this is in regards to... Uh, the rematch with Islam Makachev and Alexander Volkanovsky. So I'm going to quote from the Bloody Elbow article that we have up. Uh, Milan, our, our colleague and good friend Milan Ordonez has this up. And this is Dana explaining why he shot down Makachev versus Volkanovsky's immediate rematch and i like what he had to say here because as we all know i'm not a fan of super fights because i feel like it holds up the divisions but he has he has some good words here so 
You know what my thoughts are on that when you make a super fight, could you possibly have had a better fucking result than we did on that fight, right? This is what he had to say at the UFC Vegas 70 post-fight press conference this past Saturday. So I'm going to continue on with this. When the entire world is arguing over who won, that's a super fight and it delivers, right? The only thing that could possibly be better than that is the guy who's fighting for the interim title comes out looking incredible too. So now you got Yair versus Volkanovsky. We'll see what happens with Islam and where he ends up fighting next. You have to do Yair next. I mean, Yair came out and absolutely dominated a stud in Josh Emmett that night. And then you have the rematch after they both fight again. You could not have a better result. Now, the UFC has yet to make any of those moves, but Dana is also considering other options for Makachev. And I quote, I mean, listen, I don't know. We didn't make any fights yet. Here are a lot of different things that play out and making these fights, you know, timing, injuries, personal stuff, whatever it may be. But yeah, to me, the fight that makes sense right now is we make Yair versus Volkanovsky, Islam versus somebody, whenever that happens. And then, and then we do the rematch. That's the end of the uh, quote, and basically we wrap the article after that. But that, in my opinion, is the right way to go. You don't stymie up the divisions even more by have them doing an immediate rematch. You settle the waters. You have Alex go back and fight Yair. You have Islam presumably fight the winner of Charles versus Benil. And then whoever wins that... And whoever wins out of Alex and in the air, those two fight. And then no matter what, you have Islam and Alex fight and everything is set. I think it's perfect. Victor, what do you think? I guess I, <laughs> I, I don't have any problem with this because the thing is that it's it's um this is a very careful untangling mm-hmm. of things. You know, you have a, when we've addressed this many times, every time that we've had a dual champ situation, where does this person go now? Do they now remain at the new weight class that they moved up for? Because it's usually situations of people moving up, say for maybe uh, TJ Dillashaw. I mean, I can't think of too many people that have actually gone down. But um, in, in either event, in any of these cases, you're going to have a bit of a bottleneck going on. You're going to have an, uh, an, an, a relatively um, compromised champion in terms of scheduling because they can only defend one belt at a time. You know, it takes time to prep for these fights. Usually, championship fights have a bit of leeway in terms of scheduling, in terms of time. Um, you're not going to have a fight that's going to have a one-month preparation period. No, usually they give them about two or three months to get their affairs in order and be able to set up their fight camp and do uh, everything that they need to be able to perform adequately. So uh, what made this one extra tricky and extra thorny was that it was a sensational bout, and it was a very close one, and people were, in fact, thinking, shit, I might want to see a rematch right away. Problem is that it creates rifts in the other divisions. It stalls everything else, Mm. and featherweight is probably hurting a little more for it than lightweight. Um, I 
I, this is fine. I, 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 the reasoning is sound. Mm-hmm. It seems like a relatively moral and ethical thing to do. It doesn't seem like anything that would be. Look, we can revisit this. Alex can certainly challenge for a lightweight title later on. And it seems that this is another case of them having full uh, confidence that both parties will probably still have the belts. And even if they don't, even if they don't, uh, it, let's say, let's say that uh, Volkanovski loses the belt, right? You're going to tell me you still wouldn't want to see this rematch. Exactly. You know, which is if, why I said even if they don't win, right. they can still have this rematch and it would sell a zillion. Precisely. I mean, and let's say let's say Islam loses. Again, none of the luster is lost because we had such an amazing experience watching the first fight. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to ruin a good thing? It seems perfectly fine. And as long as uh, everyone is being treated and compensated fairly, I think this is fine. I don't see what the problem is. I think this is good. There is one small caveat that I need to throw out there, though, about this. We have to consider the source. Because remember, if anything happens, let's say they plan some big pay-per-view a few months down the road, six months down the road, whatever. Something starts crumbling away shortly after they book some big pay-per-view. It is not out of the realm of possibility for Dana White to scramble and put that fight together anyways before doing what he just laid out for us. You can never forget that situational difficulties often spur on things that they say they're not going to do and it ends up happening anyways or things that we wouldn't actually think they would do and they happen anyways because who would have thought that... um, What's his name? Um, um, that just—he's the light heavyweight title holder right now. My God, <laughs> Jamal Hill. Yes, Jamal Hill. Yes. my gosh, that's it's okay. Not a forgettable guy, but right now my brain is mush because it's been a long day. <laughs> We've had a also, very long week. The yeah, both of us. I'm this also has been op- yeah operating on very little sleep. But oh, the yeah. point I'm making here is, is look at how fast that was thrown together because of situational need so if there's a situational need we could still see this fight put together before any other fights we could see the immediate rematch if something requires it but hopefully nothing like that happens and we can have this situation that dana is laying out for us actually come to fruition that is my hope that is my sincere hope because as victor just said and i laid out in the beginning, this is the right scenario to happen. So, Victor, what do you got for us? Well, I don't know that this is precisely the right scenario or the best scenario, but I guess it's good enough. Uh, and it has to do with circumstances, right? Context. Now, you may remember that in our last episode, we fired up the Speculatron 5000 and we looked at the Luke Rockhold thing, right? Is he dropping hints about what he's going to do next? Is he, in fact, going to, as uh, my MMA news had uh, reported that is he going to be going to bare knuckle? Well, it turns out, folks, yes. Yes, he is. So credit to my MMA news for um, putting that out there. And, uh, well, I guess credit to bare knuckle for what a massive coup Mm -hmm. this has turned out to be. Because not only did they announce that they did, in fact, sign the former uh, Strike Force and UFC champion, but they did things one step further. It turns out they've set up two dynamite matchups in terms of name value. Now, whether or not you think or you agree that these are, um, you know, 
things that you would want to see, because I know people are a bit squeamish sometimes, uh, bare knuckle. It's not everybody's cup of tea. I get it. But you still got to respect it. Uh, Luke Rockhold is going to be stepping in and taking on none other than another former UFC fighter in Mike Perry, who was uh, coming fresh off the uh, victory over uh, former um, Bellator, I guess, title contender Michael Venom Page. And guess what? There's another matchup there. They've announced another signing. Yeah, it's a beautiful one. The Underground King, another former UFC champion, Eddie Alvarez, coming off of his stint with one championship, is going to be facing none other than former UFC title challenger Chad Mendez. Look, on paper, outstanding, sensational. In practice, your mileage may vary. I don't know what this may be... Um, how popular this may be with with uh, you, those of you listening or with MMA fandom at large. You do have to consider that the bulk of what we see with Bare Knuckle is MMA fans and a few people that sort of operate in, in the perimeter of that fandom. I know, you know, it's something that uh, a lot of people don't want to plunk that money on, but they seem to be doing well. They seem to be getting injections of money. I don't know what their buy rates are. It seems like they're actually exceeding expectations. What that looks like exactly, I don't know. That's a bit murky. That's all private, and I really don't, you know, I, I, I don't feel like it would be responsible of me to, um, you know, sort of start making guesses as to what kind of revenue they're pulling in. So we're not really going to touch that. But we are going to say this. If they're able to bring these guys in, and even for the short term, compensate them in what they consider to be adequate, uh, you know, bundles, I think this is fine. You know, Paige Van Zandt, uh, I would imagine she was there was a whole lot of hullabaloo about how much money she stood to make with that contract. And then suddenly she's not too happy with it. I would imagine it's because maybe there are multipliers and escalators in these contracts that would allow for, um, you know, you you're going to make a certain amount of money as a target. But none of that might be totally guaranteed. But I'd hope I'd like to think that at least to get these guys in the door, there's some pretty strong guarantees because these guys don't get out of bed for cheap. And Eddie Alvarez, he's been about chasing that paper. Chad Mendez, I mean, man, his nickname is Money. Come on, you can't fuck with that. And then now you got Luke Rockhold, who also is not a cheap date and commands a bit of a pretty penny. Very savvy as well. I mean, he's been very uh, clear about his objective, right? The hunt for Red October in the form of them checks. And now he's here. Now, Steffi, I want to get your thoughts on what you think of these matchups, not just in terms of name value, but what they could look like when they actually come to fruition. And do you think that this would be another one of those steps that allows other MMA fighters with bigger names to turn around and be like, wait a minute, hey, maybe there's something good going on over there after all, and I might want to apply my trade? Yeah, I don't I don't see anything wrong with it. And my goodness bare knuckle at first being the the bastard child of combat sports it's no longer that now with the emergence of power slap and so <laughs> here we have bare knuckle having this uh they're, they're they're projecting this exterior of respectability somewhat they've gotten a lot of corporate sponsors They've been putting on viewership numbers since the pandemic. I read a Forbes article that said that their viewership numbers just absolutely skyrocketed during the bulk of the really hard times of the pandemic. And they stayed that way. So we've got booming numbers. 
We've got big corporate sponsors. Uh, someone reached out to me on Twitter and asked me to look around a little bit because they had heard that uh, Bare Knuckle actually gives the fighters a little piece of the pay-per-views too. I don't know how big a piece. I just know that they're getting a, a, a portion of the pay-per-views supposedly. Uh Everything seems to be coming up roses for Bare Knuckle. And it's weird that this is our our struggling little engine that could. The other fights on that card, the ladies' fights, are always gangbusters. We're always getting good clips out of these. But as far as the fights themselves, Mike Perry has shown that he can go hell for leather in there. We've watched it. He's been doing that since his UFC days. Luke Rockhold showed us the exact same thing against Paulo Costa. I think Luke's desire is there. He's obviously a, a, a gym head who trains constantly. I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I don't see a problem with this fight. And I think it will probably be gangbusters. Chad Mendez versus Eddie Alvarez. Wow, that is a fight in itself, too. And Chad Mendez looked great in his uh, bare knuckle debut. I think the fight is great. I think it'll be very competitive. Who knows? I think this is such a good thing right now, especially in light of the the hideous mess that is Power Slap. I, I'm always looking for some place for fighters to land, especially the ones that can't hang in the UFC anymore. Maybe they can't get a contract with Bellator or PFL. Bare Knuckle is there and they're paying. I feel like there's there's some hope there. And as far as Paige Van Sant, she signed in August of 2020 and her deal was reportedly worth over a million dollars. What she came out and said, because I did go and scour the internet, I don't think that it was that she wasn't making what they promised her in Bare Knuckle. What I think it all boiled down to is that she was making as much or more with her own OnlyFans. And I think that after losing two times her first two bouts, I mean, she's only had two fights and she's lost them both. And unfortunately, the second loss was to Rachel Ostovich, who she beat in the UFC. And so I feel like maybe with Paige's very successful OnlyFans and dipping her toe into professional wrestling, that maybe Paige might be done with fighting in general. Why would she want to mess with what's making her so much money right now. If I'm Paige, I'd say I'm staying out of combat sports entirely, except for maybe wrestling. Mm. So I, I don't know if it's a, any fault of bare knuckle and bare knuckle is bending over backwards to accommodate her. They're so nice with every time Feldman is interviewed, even though, uh, let, let me read something to you. Paige was scheduled to fight Sharissa Sigala at Bare Knuckle FC 27 uh, this past August. Then the fight was postponed to October 15th. And then a week before the event, it was canceled entirely. I'm looking at this and I'm absolutely thinking, yeah, Paige is definitely not wanting to fight anymore. Victor, what what is your thoughts on that part? I don't know, man. I guess, uh, you know, she decided that yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna actually 
just take all this energy and put it elsewhere. You know, maybe she just got, I don't know, maybe she just got tired. I, I suppose there's some other moving parts yeah. behind the scene. You know, they just it didn't. I I don't know what kind of motivation you have to keep going and and how that works out. Uh, maybe I, I I don't know if um, doing all this maybe the fighting starts not only getting in the way of doing other things that you'd much rather be doing as a preference, but also it might perhaps uh, preclude you from taking certain endorsements or other opportunities. You know, maybe some folks might be might have a bit of an ick factor and seeing somebody all bloodied up and then you know have them endorse a product or something like that i don't know if that i mean i suppose that's possible i don't know if that's really the case we're just spitballing here i mean i got other people that they don't have to worry about it like greg hardy of course he's got he's got other concerns yeah (laughs) but the thing is though is that after this you know this whole mess with the uh, the fight last year and it being postponed and then ending up canceled a week before the event an event that they were heavily promoting because of her and they have had nothing but nice things to say about her and say say that they're you know just waiting for her to figure out what she wants to do i mean they have just really bent over backwards as a matter of fact I don't think I've seen Feldman throw anybody under the bus since that unfortunate event, one of their very first events. It was like mm. third or fourth where he he got on the mic and said that he was going to take half the that fighter's check because he it was the fight was so boring or something like that. Yeah, it wasn't exciting enough. Yeah. Yes. But he, they, he has not made that misstep since. Well, As no, a, he he got on the mic and and did that thing that some promoters do, yes, where they made, get the idea that people are there to see them exactly, and, and accept it. Quickly, it. I, and I commend him for for listening to the audience who rose up with mm, one voice and said, "Shut the fuck up, you nerd." Yeah, and he did, and yes. he complied. So good for him, I guess. And. Since then, it seems that he goes out of his way to talk up his fighters, as all the other promoters do. I've only seen a single promoter throw their own fighters under the bus. And I'm just going to leave them nameless. Y'all already know who it is. But I I just feel like Bare Knuckle might be the refreshing jolt that we we might need. And that the fighters definitely need as a landing pad for when there's uh, no other opportunity. But it's unfortunate, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It is. It is. But, I mean, them's the breaks. Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, I do want to draw a tiny little parallel before we move on. You have Luke Rockhold signing this deal with Bare Knuckle, and he talks specifically about how, how you can have sponsors and how this is a fight to fight deal for him. He didn't sign some big contract. And he says, as long as bare knuckle keeps providing these perks and, and being awesome, he will be loyal. And I feel like that is the absolute best attitude to have. I wish that the UFC could figure out a way, but they never will because that would affect their bottom line. To let the fighters ha- work on contracts like this, fight to fight. But, you know, that's never going to happen. But at least Bare Knuckles doing something along those lines. But you have Luke over here talking about, I'm done being a fucking slave. That was a direct quote. But over here, you have Darren Till asking the UFC to let him go and talking about how um, me, Dana, and Hunter is still cool as fuck. I asked the UFC to remove me just to sort some other shit for the foreseeable. 
they happily agreed to release me out of contract, which I appreciate. I'm not going anywhere. Got big plans to execute and I'll be back. Mm-hmm. I mean, the two, I mean, talk about the duality of man. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is that after that, he posted, uh, it was just emojis. It was boxing gloves and money bags. And I don't know if you remember, but yeah. when Chad Mendez was released from the UFC, when he asked and was granted his release, mm-hmm. he had pretty much the same exact lines that Darren Till had. So if we end up seeing him here and he ends up fighting Rockhold or something, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, mm. that is where I was going with it, too. I knew you would connect my dots. We are always sharing a brain. So, yeah, I, I looked at those lines, those headlines, and I thought, whew. I love how we share a brain, but it's your brain that's doing the heavy lifting. (laughs) No, no, no. no. You're going to get a hernia there. You know that, right? (laughs) Cerebral hernias is real. (laughs) All right. So we are going to get into our UFC 285 main card breakdown. But I have to go back for a second to last week, because if you recall, I picked an undercard fight that I liked and Victor did the same. Now, I asked Victor to pick a winner from the fight that I chose, but I forgot to pick my winner from the fight that Victor chose, which was Tabitha Ricci versus Jessica Panay. I am taking Tabitha Ricci. I got so excited when Victor finished his amazing breakdown of that fight to show him the fight that I picked that I forgot to actually make my, my prediction. So I am picking Tabitha Ricci. And as promised... I went back to Mookie and I put those two to him so that he could choose those two fights that Victor and I broke down on Monday. So Mookie is also taking Tabitha Ritchie. And the other fight that we discussed, if you recall, was Ian Machado Gary versus Song Kanan. And Mookie is also taking Ian Gary. So those two fights, we have Ian Gary and... um. Jessica Penney, that's who Victor chose. And I am taking uh, Tabitha Ritchie and Ian Gary, as is Mookie. So that knocks out our two prelim fight picks. All right, so we're going to start at the bottom of the pay-per-view card. And that is going to be Bo Nichols' uh, debut against Jamie Pickett. So... Victor, I'm going to let you lead off of our analysis portion here. So get going. I hate this. Good <laughs> God. Jamie Pickett, man. <laughs> Tough dude. Not the best record. Um, and it's, it's look, some, some folks, like I've said this many times about Raquel Pennington, you got some folks that take fights that they absolutely shouldn't at a certain point in their career. And, you know, it, it seems to me like Jamie's done that quite a bit. Um, I, he's clearly got his limits. Uh, he is still strong. He can absolutely crack. Uh, he can work takedown defense serviceably, but there's a certain caliber of wrestler that he's done that against. Bo is not that. Bo is not just a great wrestler. He's one of those guys who has integrated his submissions in a manner that has been, it's again, it's like the Misha Tay thing, right? How you can wrestle, you can be an NCAA caliber uh, individual, an Olympian even like Sarah McMahon and still get out wrestled by a high school wrestler like Misha Tay. Because again, adapting everything to the MMA metagame and everything that that entails, everything that it expands into and out of, that's where the rub is. 
And I think Bo is probably going to be able to do it unless he gets caught slipping with something coming in. He should pretty much have this. He's just uh, going to know that – and Pickett knows where, where Bo's uh, bread is buttered. He's not going to try to uh, play footsie and, and, and try to get cute with his boxing. No, nah, he's going to go right into it and work takedowns and immediately uh, do as, as much as he can with what brought him to the dance. So I'm going to go with Bo Nickel. Oh, yeah. You, you have to. We were talking last week about fights being – showcase fights set up to showcase a fighter's ability i mean jamie pickett is the perfect fight to do that for for bo nickel and bo nickel is special he's not your average wrestler victor was talking about adapting to mma if anyone has done that in short order it's been him insane insane i mean that triangle that he got over Donovan Beard and just that whole sequence, Jesus Christ, it was 52 seconds of just wreck shop. I mean, the the speed with which he does this and man, I just, I, he's definitely special. It's abundantly clear. Jamie Pickett, poor guy. I feel bad for him, but yeah, I'm, I'm taking Bo Nickel and Mookie is as well. So we get to our next fight, which is Mateus Gamrot versus Jalen Turner. Woo-wee, I love this fight so much. And I had a hard time with this. Such a hard time. So I think I'm going to go with Jalen Turner. I had mentioned this. I picked him on Care Don't Care. And I had mentioned this to someone in Twitter. I know Mateus Gamrot is the, the second coming and this and that. But Jalen Turner has come a long way. And he is an athletic genius. I mean, he's got speed and power. And he's got sensational grappling he can do it all and he's really coming to his own and i know he's the underdog here but i can't help myself i am channeling my inner victor i am taking jalen turner here and surprisingly mookie is as well and he's a huge gamrot fan so he must see the same thing i'm seeing in jalen turner i i want to pick jalen man i mean again he's got the hot hand he can do a lot, but Gamrot seems to me like he's slightly more complete. The only difference is, or the larger difference, is that when you look at how Turner fights, he has much more devastating striking, and he's much quicker at getting his accuracy down. He's much quicker at getting those reads and uh, really um, really sort of pinpointing where the guy's going to move to next and trapping him there. So uh, he does have a pretty decent submission game, but his setups are more immediate. They're a little quicker. They're not they're not um, not the chaining it, together effect. Right. It's not the same sort of methodical. I, yeah, it, it's it's different because I, I and it, it's not when it comes to a more longer and drawn out positional battle for submissions. That's where Gamrod, I believe, has a much more measured and patient game, whereas Turner, he's getting there. He has that. But. Mm -hmm. Not on the same, not in the same form. He's not quite as tricky, you know. I, I just Jalen's an opportunist, yes. and Mateus is a chess player. That's wow. See, wow, that's a great way to put it. He is, <laughs> he is the gamer for a reason. Yes, um, I shit. I, I, I do want to pick Turner, but I think I just want to just to just to play contrarian. I'm going to go with Gamrot. You are, you are in second place. I'm in dead last. So you know, you want to extend this lead. 
Gamrot is probably the safer bet. I just can't help thinking that Jalen Turner, this is going to be his breakout performance. It could be. It really could. All right. We get to a fight that I'm really looking forward to. Shavkat Rachmanov versus Jeff Neal. I'm looking forward to this, even though I feel like it's going to be a blowout for Rachmanov. And the reason why is because Jeff Neal is a very, very predictable fighter. It's basically that left. Left high kick, left left overhand. Left high kick, left overhand. I mean, he spams lefts everywhere. And you can you can time it. You can circle away from it. You can predict where he's going to be. He does have power. Definitely has power. But we haven't seen as much of it because as he stepped up the competition, you know, it's not so easy for him to put people away. And when that doesn't happen... Then we get the same Jeff Neal doing the same predictable shit over and over, spamming left kicks, spamming left hands. The right is there. He just doesn't do anything with it, <laughs> you know? And when in, in the instances he does, it's very, very infrequent. And then you have Rachmanov, this human dynamo, and he's pretty much doing everything right. And he has exhibited amazing fight IQ. He, to me, is a fighter that seems to have, like you were alluding to with Mateusz Gamrot, I think Rachmanov is even, he's like the 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 extreme level, the, the pinnacle of that, that mindset. Because to me, Shavkat seems like he has ESPN. I mean, ESPN, ESP. <laughs> because he seems to be... A, in the the place in space where he needs to be before it actually happens it's like if the guy's gonna throw a left he's already out of the way yeah i mean he just seems to know everything predict everything well before it happens and i like the way he does that uh it's almost like magic and so i am taking rachmanov mookie is as well i'm gonna go out on a limb and say you are too i gotta go with rachmanov man (laughs) I got to much more fluidity and diversity in his shot selection, the accuracy, mm-hmm. the speed, the lack of, you know, he, he doesn't, he gets to that. It's not an urgent thing, but he cuts to the chase. He immediately, you know, he just gets after it and he's just so sort of life and agile. And, uh, you know, Neil, the thing with Neil is, yeah, sure. He does spam a lot of the same thing, but even though he's really, really good at getting you in spots where he's capable of capitalizing with that, right? I mean, yeah, sure, he'll nail you with like you look at the Luke fight where he spammed like five straight uppercuts. Mm-hmm. Hey man, that's on that's on Luke. Like, bitch, you should have moved, you know. Like, but, but you can't because good God, the pressure is amazing. And yeah. he's really good at cornering dudes. I don't know that he's able to do that at Rachmanov. Not with the kicking game, not with the sliding uh, side to side, not with the way that he's able to um you know, just just sort of punish with counters and make sure that he's always the guy that's uh, running the tempo on it. So I, I have to go with Rabinov, not just with that, but also devastating submission game as well. Just one of the most complete, if not the most complete welterweight that we could be looking at right now. There's a scene in an X-Men movie and Quicksilver is he's saving all these people. In, you know, in his Quicksilver time and he's going through and he's picking bullets out of the way and he's, you know, 
up he's you know setting up a, a glass that's over pouring it's you know tipped over and he sets it right so it doesn't spill he's doing all these things he's appearing in the right spot right when he needs to be to to take the bullet away or to fix the glass that is rachmanov he just like a puff of smoke like quicksilver he's right where he needs to be to land a punch before you know somebody else can land on him i mean that is the best way i can describe what i was trying to earlier is comparing him to quicksilver in that sequence in that marvel movie so and everybody out there that's listening will know exactly the one i'm talking about because it's one of the best cgi sequences in any movie ever it's my favorite cgi sequence so anyways we're gonna get to the cool main event valentina shevchenko versus alexa grasso victor i'm gonna let you lead this one i still think that valentina's the gaps in her armor are in her grappling Uh uh i jeez dude alexa i expect a spirited performance i don't know you know what i i I doubt that she's gonna have many opportunities for for success but i'm gonna pick her anyway you know what it's a sentimental pick i'm gonna go with it alexa grasso i have no shame (laughs) okay all right um that's so weird because you were so so torn on jalen turner and and gamrot but and Jalen Turner would have been the less underdog of the two between him and Grasso, but you chose Grasso. Listen, you know how many fucks I don't give. Are we really <laughs> like how long have we been doing this? Come on now, you, you know you don't need any reasoning here with this. <laughs> Just throw a dart, man. <laughs> well, for me, um, I I can't pick Alexa. I love her to death, but this is not a fight made for her. It's really not. No, it's not. No. Um, and for Alexa, see, I disagree with you. Um, uh, slightly. I I I think Shevchenko's real chink in her armor is that it's her striking. You know, she she doesn't have strong striking. She has the striking to keep someone away or to set up her grappling, and her grappling is perfect. As long as she's the dominant one, as long as she's the bully, but you put someone in that's as strong as her, like Tyla Santos, and she does things that keep her safe, which is why she won that fight. Her fight IQ is great. Her grappling is great, but she's going to come up against stronger girls like she did with Tyla. Alexa is not that girl. And while Alexa's striking is lovely, she also doesn't possess a whole heck of a lot of power in her fists either. So I think that in that regard, that even her wonderful striking will probably be canceled out. Because Valentina's striking is great. She just has zero power. She does not have a lick of power in those hands. It's in her feet and in her grappling. So I think Valentina is going to win this pretty handily. Um, I would be surprised if Alexa pulled this off. It would be a massive upset in my eyes. Uh, Mookie is also picking Valentina. So we get to the main event. John Jones versus Cyril Gone. Woo-wee. All right. I'm just going to lay this out. I think that this is... This is a fight that I didn't think I was going to be so interested in. 
but as the as it's gotten closer and closer, I am massively interested in this, and I've been pouring over all sorts of video. And you know, John Jones, something that was said this week by Bo Nickel, and it was casually mentioned, and then late because of the casual mention, people interviewed him about it. But this week. Uh, when Bo Nickel met John Jones, they had like a little fun play wrestling session. And he mentioned in passing very, very casually that he stuffed a John Jones takedown. And it's, it's preyed on my brain ever since. Mm -hmm. Because here is heavyweight John Jones, heavyweight, and going to sneak attack a Bo Nickel, sneak attack. Because that's how I understood that it was relayed. They were just playing around and Jones just, boom, you know, shot in. And guess what Bo Nickel did? He stuffed it. He stuffed heavyweight John Jones takedown. And I cannot help but let that prey on my mind a little bit. Now, the other thing is when I tweeted that out, I had someone tweet back at me, well, who hasn't over the past few years? Who hasn't stuffed one of his takedowns? And I looked around and sure as shit, you know, Anthony Smith gave him a fucking sterling fight for about two rounds, really competitive fight for two rounds. Tiago Silva. I mean, not Tiago, so Tiago Santos, excuse me. Dominic Reyes. I just keep looking at those and thinking that it's been a long time, even at light heavyweight, since we've seen those wrestling chops out of Johnny. When's the last time we saw him pin someone up against the cage and work those ferocious elbows that he used to use like a jab? We haven't seen that guy in a long time. I'm not saying we're not going to see him because maybe he is freshly rejuvenated, got a brand new fat contract up at heavyweight, going to fight a guy that if he beats him, maybe he cements goat status for real. In my eyes, John Jones is the goat. There, I, I, you know, all his personal problems aside, in the cage, to this point, I feel like John Jones is the greatest of all time. That is my personal opinion. I don't care what anyone else thinks. As far as his athletic prowess, he's the goat in in MMA, in my opinion. But I'm not picking him. I'm picking Sorokin because I don't think that I'll ever see the the John Jones that that John Jones again, whether it be heavyweight, light heavyweight, whatever. Just don't think I'm going to see it. I'm going to pick Gone for that reason. Uh, Mookie is also hmm. picking Sorokin. So about the nickel thing. Mm-hmm. How much of that is John Jones maybe not having his wrestling where people would or where, you know, maybe where it ought to be? Mm-hmm. And how much of that is by virtue of the fact that he was trying to do that to Bo freaking nickel? But you know, I, I have to want no, but hang on. So so we have that right. Mm-hmm. That's that's where things start. But then you get to the other point that you made. Yeah, it's true. He has had less success than he did earlier in his career. And I don't think it's so much a physical thing. Again, I think guys have him figured out. Now, mm-hmm. you look at his last two fights. We've been on this multiple times. I think he lost those last two. Mm-hmm. He should have lost those, mm-hmm. but he did not. Okay. So on paper, he won. But if you see the fights, okay. Then you look at the time that he's gotten, you know, the time that he's been in the sport. Maybe he's still at his peak. It's hard to tell. He's been out for super long. 
he's still one of the smartest fighters in the game. But what does his strength look like and how what does that translate to at heavyweight? How does it go against a guy who's got B strength like Gon? How does he maintain that sort of um, ability to close the distance and work into the clinch effectively and start working those trip takedowns that he's so brilliant at? Can he do that against Gon? I maybe because you know the thing with Gon is we saw him get soundly out wrestled by Ngannou for a good stretch of that fight. When Ngannou lost to Stipe, and I made this point the other day, when Ngannou lost to Stipe, what did he do? He moved to Vegas, he brought in some wrestlers, and he said, you know what? Never again. That shit right there is not going to happen to me at any other time in my life. Did Gon do the same thing? Not necessarily. Did he have to? Maybe not in the same fashion. I, I see that he has um, a shout out to um, Twitter user Fedor's nephew, uh, whom I don't believe is his actual nephew. Uh, he he pointed out there is this Russian wrestler that has been training with Gon for quite some time. And maybe that that's kind of where. But can he emulate what John does? Because wrestling is not just wrestling. It's not all chill son and power blast doubles. You do still have the Greco style, the top heavy, you know, Dan Henderson type of style, right? That that sort of thing. I'm not sure. I'm not. I just there's so many questions about how Gon can do that. I don't doubt his durability. I don't doubt his chin. Uh, I do think that if John is able to get inside and kill the body with those knees to the inside, work those elbows, like we said. But can he actually close the distance or will he, despite putting on all this extra weight, still get bullied? By a guy who's always been comfortable walking around at his grown-ass man weight, who has a ton of power, and who won't be easily rocked or easily swayed. I'm not sure. I kind of still want to pick Jones, though. I, I Just by just him being the, uh, the, the smarter guy, still being super durable, still having incredible cardio, I don't know where Gon's cardio is with that. And I think maybe if he's able to tire Cyril out, he might be able to be much more effective later on and with enough time to maximize that damage, to be able to get ahead on the scorecards if need be. I don't like it, but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to pick John Jones. <gasps> wow. I, I I think still with everything else, with everything else, his susceptibility to leg kicks, his 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 uh, the punches that he's taken, his durability not maybe being where it once was. He is super vulnerable now, perhaps more than ever. He waited way too long to come up. Yet despite that, I look at Gon's deficiencies and I think like you know, I got so many more question marks around this guy's game to being more complete than it is with John. So I kind of have to pick him. I feel like you talked yourself into it right now. Nah, I mean, I never really, you know, I, I was still undecided about it for most of this whole time. And I just, I, it, it's kind of, you kind of have to trust the, um, you kind of have to trust the guy who's got the steadier hand on this thing, who's, despite the fact that, yes, he doesn't have maybe the best assortment of training partners right now uh, to, for this particular task, I would imagine, not for someone who is as, um, not for someone who is as strong as he is for a lengthy striker or uh, someone who's able to be much more agile with his with his strikes. But fine. I mean, whatever. I, I guess I, I, I guess, you know, I just feel like this is more hunch than anything else. And, and the fact that. Sure, it's, it's kind of up in the air for me. I'm going to have to go with John. All right. So there you have it, folks. That will wrap up our little main card breakdown. And that will also wrap up the show. So 
do me a favor, follow this guy on Twitter. He is awesome. He is funny. He is smart. At Vicim Rodriguez. Follow Mookie on Twitter. At Mookie Alexander. Victor has an awesome Instagram with a lot of great food pics. And if you're you know, fortunate enough to have him as your friend. He will also DM you really funny stuff that he finds on Instagram. I, every week, my, cause I log in like once a week, <laughs> I go and I find some of the funniest shit ever in my Instagram DMs from this guy. So Adam, maybe he'll follow you back and maybe you will get the gift of funny shit in your DMs too. Now, uh, Mookie is the managing editor over at SB Nation's field goal site. So if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, you can go visit him there. Victor and I work for Bloody Elbow. So if you want to check out our work, you can find it there. And if you listen to the pre-recorded outro, you can find out where you can listen to this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow shows. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>